Hello, this is Matt Burgess from the New Zealand Initiative. I'm joined today by a special guest, Sir Bill English, of course, the former Prime Minister, former Minister of Finance. But he's been out of Parliament for about four years now. Uh, he wears many other hats these days, including in social services, which is what we're going to talk about today. Good afternoon, Bill. Kia ora, Matt. How are you? Very well. Enjoying this lockdown immensely, as I'm sure you are too. So I wonder if you could start at the start. Uh, what has been your journey from Parliament into social services sector? Tell us about that. Well, when I left Parliament, I had some real social policy interests and I wanted to carry those on somehow, but I didn't quite know how at the time, uh, alongside my other uh, economic and commercial interests, because I don't believe these things are mutually exclusive. So I was helping a few different entities with how to think about what they were doing next and uh, came across the opportunity to get involved with uh, an organisation doing individualised funding. Uh, it was an area that I had been involved with for policy because I'd always felt that the mainstream services weren't even thinking, weren't really thinking that hard about the customer. And uh, people who have low resource or chronic need have every, you know, know what they need and need to be treated like customers. And this amazing opportunity came up. So I got involved in it alongside some other, uh, other organisations where we're you know, measuring social impact and helping organisations make changes to, to um, lift their social impact. Yeah, so we ha- so the model that you've got involved in through Manawanui is individualised funding, and it's such a radical model in some ways. You know, it's, it turns public services on their head, you know, completely, right? So you have decisions that are made at Cabinet, ultimately by the Prime Minister. This model puts decision makings all the way down the chain, right to the end, to the individual who is actually receiving the services. That's a radical step for any public policy system, I would have thought, that is fundamentally built around the idea of making decisions from the top down. Is that right? Well, yes, it is. And well, it's the result of really some persistence and some some luck, I think. The persistence being the disability community who have advocated for a long time around different ideas like nothing about us without us and you know, a long history of advocacy. Mm. So that's been, to some extent, successful in this instance. Um, And then I think a bit of luck in that there's been individuals along the way, both in the NGO sector and in the policy world, particularly in the Ministry of Health, who've really taken to the model with some conviction and been able to make progress, partly because no one takes too much notice of what's outside the mainstream. You know, this isn't mainstream health policy. It's not mainstream welfare policy. Probably a lot of people involved in those areas don't know even now that there's 10,000 New Zealanders on this um, so-called radical model. And it actually has a history going back about 15 years to some, you know, quite visionary individuals. So New Zealand has evolved what I think is probably one of the better models in the world around self-direction and that's why it's a privilege to be involved with it I mean every every day of involvement is a mixture of um, inspiration and and perspiration because for these for these families you know COVID is just one of the many challenges they face on a daily basis for some of them it's getting out of bed for some of them it's getting out of the house every you know maybe once every every few weeks or a month let, let alone worrying too much about what's happening with COVID so that that's you know, pretty gritty lives 
which we we see um, so much inspiration from people who take control of those lives um, because there's a policy setting that enables them to do that. We're speaking today because uh, today's a launch of a report uh, that we've written. In fact, this whole idea started with a conversation with you and a, and a wonderful story about somebody who moved to IEF and it was just transformational, which is actually a, a common story. Almost everybody has something similar to say about IEF. And when you go through the literature, as, as I did preparing this report, it's just so striking how completely uniform almost uh, the, find, the research findings are in terms of the step change that personal budgets unlock and we're just talking about a giant step in productivity you know bang per buck uh, for public spending when you put control in the hands of individuals so that they can choose which services they they buy or don't buy what is the fundamental engine of this huge step change do you think what are the various factors that combine to make such a huge difference and why can't we see more of it well, the, look, the, the fundamental driver is what I would call micro-need. That is, for example, in the, in the report, Philip talks about how when he was working, he couldn't get carers at three o'clock in the morning, but that's through the normal system, but that's what he needed to be able to work. Mm. And he was able to get carers when he was the employer. And we find it could be you know, a family with an autistic child who where they need different kind of um, sleeping arrangements because often these kids don't sleep well and that's really tough on a family. And so they juggle the care as, or there's now much better equipment that is adapted for helping the sleep of uh, autistic kids. So that, that's need that a bureaucrat, even if they had the incentive to find it, couldn't possibly know because it's so individual. The other, but of course, they don't have the incentive to find it because the large public agencies are monopoly producers of commodity services designed for 80 to 85% of the population and historically have not met chronic needs well. And you'd think after 60, 70 years of failure, we might have got the message. But I think the barrier to one of the barriers to its expansion are quite legitimate questions around fiscal control. And this is what I found is coming to it wearing my ex-finance minister's um, And uh, it turns out that what effectively happens is the funder is contracting out the fiscal control to these individuals. And two things help it work. One is that the individual is incentivized to manage because if they don't, they end up back in the mainstream system. That's um, one driver of it. And um, the other is the transparency. So particularly with the uh, digital systems these days, you can essentially run always on auditing of every transaction because um, banking systems and payment systems allow you to have a look at it. So there's two parts of the support for individualized funding. Uh, One is the customer facing piece where you try and make the systems that enable people with reasonably gritty lives to be able to manage a small business because they are employers of their staff and that you want to make that as easy as possible. So you have to reduce that barrier for the customers. So more of them will do it when it looks easier to do. And on the other side, you've got the back end for the funder. And uh, that has to be able to meet all the compliance and audit and budget control requirements that any funder would want to see. And it just happens these days that it's not that hard to put together the systems that enable the funder to meet their needs 
and the customer to get an e a better experience. And I think as time goes on, more people are more, more of the policy makers can be persuaded that you you can get a better customer outcome and you can have fiscal control. And I can tell you as a person who spent you know a decade on fiscal control, um, it works. And in fact, what actually happens is that the individual funding, individually funded people run under budget every year and the mainstream system runs over budget every year. Well, you know, if you're the finance minister, which one would you pick? Yeah, so I get the sense, but not the certainty, that probably fiscal control is the main thing that's stopping scalability within disability and also the expansion of this whole model into other areas, especially aged care. What needs to happen, do you think? What do DHBs need to see to be convinced that actually personal budgets are a way to reduce fiscal pressures for them? Well, they need to decide that those fiscal pressures are more important than the, their existing institutional arrangements. Because bear in mind here, uh, for DHBs provide quite a, few of, quite a few services to these groups of people. Now, some of those services will always have to be provided by hospitals or DHBs because they're high-cost, episodic, unpredictable health services. Uh, that's fine. But a lot of the routine service can be provided by others in the DHB. So they have, they have to decide that, A, there's better fiscal control, and that case has yet to be made to them. The Ministry of Health has adapted well to that, but DHB is mm. not much. And I think the other thing they is it's just it just feels more complex to them. I mean, they have mm. these big home care contracts with a relatively small number of contractors, and they're just still frightened by the idea that thousands of individuals might be making their own decisions and that they might somehow have to deal with that. Well, they don't because there's intermediaries that support them to do it just in the same way as there's large-scale home care contractors. So I think telling the story is pretty important, um, and, and that, that's what this report does, and I'm sure that'll help people understand better that groups they considered in the past not capable of making decisions can actually run their own lives quite successfully with the same public budget. And do you have any sense of how much the systems and processes that have been built in the Ministry of Health to, to get this far on disability support can be uplifted and, and, and put into DHBs and used without much modification to give them that fiscal control and to deal with a lot of that, um, that complexity? Oh, look, you wouldn't uplift the systems they have. And look, the Ministry of Health has taken a, a good pragmatic approach where they've essentially encouraged the building of those systems outside of the ministry, which is the right thing to do. Uh, in fact, mm. they've themselves, are trying, there's a few pilots that have been running to expand the range of IF, and the ministry has tried running those themselves. And actually, they, they're just not equipped or set up to, to run the kind of fine-grained operational aspects of administrative delivery. That's, that's not their specialty. They're, they're regulators and policymakers. They're not, not operators of administrative systems. So all of that can be built outside the public agencies. All the public agency has to do is decide that they want someone, that they'll let someone else do it. And I think this is a, a bit of a philosophical hurdle. You know, a lot of these public agencies are pretty convinced of their own merit in the world and their own contribution. And they find it hard to accept others might be able to do the same job better. 
But in general, the technology is around now where all of those administrative and risk management systems can be run outside of a public agency in a way that the public agency is able to monitor quite satisfactorily. Yeah, it's just reinforces for me how extraordinary uh, events have been within the Ministry of Health with respect to individualised funding and personal budgets. They, you know, they have, I think extraordinary things have happened uh, in that space over the last 20 years. And I, I do want to give the team in the Ministry credit for what they've achieved. Do you have any sense of how much further IEF and personal budgets can go in the disability sector? I think you're at about a somewhere around a 20% share at the moment. How high can that go? Well, I think it can go, I think it can go further. It's in a sense, it's like a any market with a they need to know the product is there. And uh, the you know the public agencies don't broadcast it. And some of them are some of the health agencies are a bit hostile to it. So increasingly, the providers of the IF support are able to, you know, are reaching past the agencies to the actual customers to let them know there's a, there's a service here and it would work for you. And that's a perfectly normal commercial um, activity that I think will pick up speed um, and, that, and that will help a lot. But it's up to the advocates of it, like myself and others, to make it the best possible customer experience it can be. And that's happening because there is competitive competition, right? So if you imagine what's going to really drive the success of this, it would be, it is what the, the environment the ministry has created, which is competitive intermediaries who have an interest in making the experience as good as possible for the customers so that they attract customers and keep the ones that they have. And I don't know if the ministry set out to do that, but that's what it's done. And in fact, in the next iteration, part of the issue is whether or not they've learned the lessons of success because the expansion policies, which are called EGL and Mana Faikaha, they're struggling with those. And it looks to me like if they just reminded themselves what they've learned from the last 20 years and let, let the, the, the customers and the intermediaries develop the expansion, then it'll all work fine. But it does need politicians to permit the policy space. And, you know, that's, there's, there's a political element to it there. I think you've got, you know, certainly in the current government, a very a extremely conservative view of who's allowed to do good things. And the people who are allowed to do good things are large public agencies. And uh, I think if they heard more of the stories of uh, how transformative this can be, um, then they'd probably allow a bit more space. I really like your point about competition. I mean, I think one of the things that's been forgotten over the last decade, perhaps, is just this idea that competition protects the little guy. And the other thing that protects the little guy in the disability space is the fact that you've got two systems that are running in parallel. And almost anybody can choose which system they're on. And each, each side of the system, individualised funding and personal budgets versus the traditional services, are sort of safety valves for each other. That if one system's not working for the individual, or the individual is uh, misbehaving in some way, that there's an alternative. And it's a credible alternative that in some sense is self-reinforcing, enforces discipline, playing by the rules, but is also just a safety valve. So that if it turns out it's not working, there is a permanent, credible, safe alternative. And it just seems like a model that 
is going to have something for everybody and have built an intrinsic safety that doesn't expose you to having only one funder to deal with, a ministry or only one um, host or only one, um, you know, it gives you a choice on which social worker comes through the front door every day. Now, those are basic protections for the people at the bottom, and that's really important, I think. And look, I think that's a fantastic analysis. I hadn't really thought of that, that um, each one is a safety valve for the other. Uh, because we do get people who, you get people moving into IF because they are too difficult to handle mm. uh, in, the, uh, in the traditional system. Um, in fact, that's a, 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 we get regularly um, customers turn up for IF for, that, for exactly that reason. It's like a last resort. On the other hand, there's some who find the complexity of being the employer like anyone else would, like you know, any other ten percent of the population, there's, there's some of them who don't want to be employers, and we find that complexity a bit much, and, and go back to the system. Mm. But over time, you know, if you allow the policy space, then those problems will get solved. And I, I like your point about the competition and the guy at the bottom. I mean, what is going to work better for these families with very gritty lives than people competing? to offer them the better service, to, uh, the better support service. And IF enables that. Uh, in the mainstream system, you get the service you're given and your only choice is not to have it. And that is both a protection, but also creates a real opportunity for people whom the market system and the, and the universal government system see as fairly peripheral and a, and a bit challenging. And actually, one of the, I think one of the underappreciated costs of monopoly is just how much less information you have when you are a monopoly. You know, when you're a monopoly, especially a state monopoly, you have really no way of knowing how far off uh, the pace you are. You know, you have no real way of discovering when you're dealing with complexity at the bottom, how much better you could be doing if only, you know, and it's, it's effectively invisible when you're sitting in an office in downtown Wellington just how far off the pace things are on the ground for people on the front lines in Northland or in Southland, right? There's just no information flows. And it's really only revealed by the fact that people can make choices and reward good service and punish bad service that you get to find out. So I, yeah, I think that's um, just one of the many benefits of the model that we're talking about here. Okay, so we have this platform. It's been 20 years in the making. I think it's a genuine and very substantial public service innovation, and I like to think that it's here to stay. What else can this new scaled-up platform be pointed at, this idea of personal budgets? What else can we use personal budgets to do? Well, look, I think it's, it's, it's big, the biggest gains in it are focusing on anywhere that there's chronic need. Okay, so if you, if, you just, if you think of a population instead of public agencies or health systems or education and just say, okay, where is their ongoing chronic need? Well, it's all over the place. There's a lot of it. And, it, you know, traditionally, we break that into categories like disability, special education, aspects of mental health, aspects of aged care. So the, the platform can support those people make the fine grained decisions that improve their lives, provided you think that's the objective. And not everyone agrees it's that the, that's the objective. I mean, too often you hear these ideological arguments that somehow preserving the delivery system is, is, is the more important than people being able to make fine-grained decisions. It doesn't work so well where you have unpredictable, episodic, intense care that's needed. And that, that's when you know, people have to go off to hospital or 
have to go off to the psychiatrist. Um, it doesn't handle that quite, you know, it's not meant to deal with um, sort of high value, um, unpredictable professional services. It's meant to deal with the daily opportunities to make a small gain in my sense of agency and well-being and my role in the wider community. That's where it works. And I think there's, um, you know, we can point it at any number of the categories that are that are characterised by chronic need. Very good. Well, Bill, congratulations with what you've achieved with Impact Lab, with Mana Manui. You know, it's just fantastic to see you staying in the space after all the effort and time you put into social investment when you're in government. Let's hope that this government and future governments continue to support IEF and the personal budgets model. Let's hope it scales and let's hope it, you know, gives control to more people because it's having a, a massive effect in the lives of um, people who struggle uh, under traditional services model. Bill, thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Matt.